0: This is an audio essay. To read the actual essay, go to mahanmccann.substack.com. The link is in the description on Spotify or whichever platform you're listening on. Oh, a philosophical guide to self-development, part six. We're continuing our exploration of philosophical guide to self-development with the therapeutics of the Stoics. This essay is part of our project to examine the components of Neoplatonism as a theory of human development and draw parallels with the hero metamithology and Jungian psychology. Stoic philosophy started in 300 BC with Zeno of Citium and continued for around 500 years until the fall of Rome. Stoicism has had numerous revivals since, including Neo-Stoicism in the Renaissance and Modern Stoicism in the 21st century. Stoic philosophy provides the ethics for Neo-Platonism and solutions to the meaning crisis. Stoicism is good at solving meaning crises because its philosophy actually evolved during two previous meaning crises, the collapse of the ancient Greek and Roman empires. Tim Ferriss, the author of the 4-Hour Workweek, describes Stoicism as an ideal operating system for thriving in high-stress environments. This is a big part of Stoicism's success in the confusion and uncertain modern digital world. In short, Stoicism is about peace of mind, our tranquility, as William Irvine writes in A Guide to the Good Life. And, spoiler alert, it really works. How Stoicism Gives Inner Peace Stoicism aims at becoming like Socrates. Verveke argued in his recent talk on Neoplatonism that becoming like Socrates, the ideal sage, involves practising three kinds of discipline. I will attempt to flesh out these three kinds of discipline with Stoic practices and exercises that you can use yourself in this essay. Number 1. Disciplining your ascent to truth Quote, For as Socrates said, we ought not to live a life without examination. So we ought not to accept an appearance without examination. Well, we should say, wait, let me see what you are and whence you come, like the watch at night. Show me the pass. Have you the signal from nature which the appearance that may be accepted ought to have? Ravakey argues that this discipline is disciplining what you say is true or false. If you remember, Socrates is famous for saying, I know that I know nothing, implying the source of his wisdom is knowledge of his own ignorance. Socrates, however, does not wallow in his ignorance, but rather pursues truth as a way of life, eventually dying for the practice, saying the unexamined life is not worth living, which is a claim to a kind of knowledge. How does this type of knowledge contribute to inner peace? Socrates gave this quote while contemned to death, when most people might tend to be a little stressed. Socrates, however, valued the truth more than his own life, as he knew a life where he could not pursue the truth would not be worth living. Socrates willingly consents to death rather than accept what he knows to be a lower good, rejecting his friend's proposal to run away because of his commitment to seeking the truth. The Stoics recommend a particular spiritual attitude, which Pierre Hadot describes as attention, prosos. It is a continuous vigilance and presence of mind, self-consciousness which never sleeps, and a constant tension of mind. This attention like Socrates, is to be conscious of one's errors and self-correct to limit our failures. Correcting habits like not jumping to conclusions, falling into states of unconsciousness, or taking easy mental shortcuts requires constant vigilant observation of one's cognitive processes and self-conscious dialogue within. Ado writes, For the Stoics, the person who is awake is always perfectly conscious of not only what he does, but who he is. Stoicism recommends a philosophical pause to consider what is true or false, and this is what it means to discipline your ascent to truth, to be conscious of what you are identifying yourself with, and caring whether what you identify with is true or false, which is often in opposition to things like social approval, status, popularity, the status quo, as Socrates found out, or internally to one's egocentrism and illusions. Number two, disciplining your desire. Quote, To what purpose then am I presently using my soul? Ask yourself this question at every moment and examine yourself as follows. What is presently to be found in that part of me which is called the ruling center? And whose soul do I have at present? That of a child? That of an adolescent? That of a woman? Of a tyrant? Of a domestic animal? Of a wild beast? Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. You'll start to see a pattern running throughout these kinds of discipline. Agency. Becoming self-directed, self-cultivating. Not floating and being made by your environment, but actively shaping your life and character yourself. Vervecki argues that Socrates knew what to care about and how to transform himself so that he cared about the right things. That this was part of his wisdom. In other words, he was a master of values. He knew what was valuable and worth desiring, and what was not valuable and not worth desiring, and how to let go of bad desires and gain the desirable desires, which seems nearly impossible. This disciplining of desire is a theme running through all Stoic philosophy, which warns against pursuing the lower passions of the flesh and material gain, and wasting one's life and character away. Desires are driven by affect. They are emotional, and we become emotionally attached to them. The Stoics had what is called a cognitive theory of emotions. That emotional reactions come from value judgments that we make, i.e. we judge someone has wronged us, so we become angry. As Epictetus says, men are disturbed not by things, but the views which they take on them. The Stoics recommend becoming conscious of the value judgments we make, so that you can curtail powerful emotional reactions that bias your thinking, and perhaps make you quick to anger. Again, this is agency. Emotions are an evolutionary toolkit that humans have for operating in complex environments. They are human universals, even the facial expressions associated with specific emotions develop across cultures, although some cultures suppress these more than others. And emotions only come in two kinds, positive or negative. Emotions track if we are on course to a valued goal we care about or not. Positive emotion, which is dopaminergically mediated, moderates approach behaviour and tells us when we're getting closer to a valued goal. Negative emotion is mediated by numerous circuits and moderates avoidance behaviour. This is to tell us when we're off track. That's the basic cable package. Something that's valuable, go towards it. Something that's not valuable, stay away. Why am I telling you this? Because to discipline your desires, you need to be able to control your emotions. And two essential truths come from these facts about emotion. No goals equals no positive emotion. And wrong goal equals endless negative emotion. So what are goals? Yep, you guessed it. Desires. We humans are cybernetic organisms, meaning we are goal-directed in our perceptions and actions. Tons of people these days, myself included, misinterpret Eastern spiritual traditions that you shouldn't have goals or desires even though not wanting any desires is actually a desire. And so we can become deeply miserable for the reasons mentioned above, in that no goals equals no positive emotion. So what Stoicism encourages is agency. Knowing your purpose and consciously choosing to pursue the highest goals of wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice, and to let go of the lower goals. One Stoic tool for the disciplining of desire is the Stoic fork or dichotomy of control, which defines two categories of experience, what is under our control and what is not. Stoicism argues we should prioritize what is under our direct control, i.e. our thoughts, actions, character, beliefs, and judgments, and not react emotionally to things outside of our control, i.e. the opinions of others, health, wealth, status, and the vicissitudes of fate. This is a powerful way of taking advantage of the emotional system's goal-directed nature to limit negative emotion by not setting bad goals. Focusing on what is outside of your control is a surefire way to trigger the negative emotion systems and keep you in a negative feedback cycle because you've chosen a goal that you simply can't achieve. A goal is a desire and a statement of value, which is how we navigate the world. Stoicism recommends building a conscious layer on top of the basic functioning and increasing agency by consciously goal-setting and hence disciplining our desires into the right desires for the right things at the right time and that this is emotionally optimal, promoting peace of mind and emotional regulation. A key feature of the Stoic attitude toward desire is gratitude, desiring what you have. Gratitude keeps one oriented towards the present rather than nostalgia of memory and unrequited desires of the future. The Stoics recommend a practice of negative visualization, where you picture the worst possible outcome in the future. The death of a loved one, failure of a business, where you would be in absolute misery if everything went wrong. And this is to prepare one for the worst results, but also so that one appreciates more what you have now. As Epictetus says, he is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but rejoices for those which he has. Again, this is a subtle shift in attitude towards desiring what you've got and not worrying about the things that you don't have. Because the things that we don't have are limitless. Number three, disciplining your action. With every accident, ask yourself what abilities you have for making a proper use of it. If you see an attractive person, you will find that self-restraint is the ability you have against your desire. If you are in pain, you will find fortitude. If you hear unpleasant language, you will find patience. And thus habituated, the appearance of things will not hurry you away along with them. Epictetus, the Stoic Handbook in Caridian. Vervegi argues that disciplining action is a result of disciplining desire. The right action will follow if you desire the right things at the right time for the right reason we've touched on in the series already is that inner conflict generates divided attention. Attention is goal-directed, so inner conflict is a conflict of goals, and values, and desires. The stoic attitude of mindfulness, pro helps us direct our attention better to generate inner harmony and flow. Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, Hungarian-American psychologist and author of the book Flow, argues that goals channel our psychic energy. Because goals exist in a hierarchy, the hierarchy of those goals is the organization of the psyche. The normal state of mind is information disorder. Desires float in and out, thoughts assail us, the monkey mind chatters away. Nothing is ordered naturally. Therefore, we have to consciously organize our attention, our hierarchy of value prioritization, and that this is organizing our mind and allows us to focus better so we can enter into flow states. Csikszentmihalyi argues, the goals we choose or do not choose determines the quality of our life and the self we have. The hero mythologies provide dramatic maps of worthwhile and unworthwhile goals, and shows us dramatic examples of what happens when we pursue a certain class of goals versus others, giving insight to what a good goal might be. Peterson argues that the hero stands at the border of order and chaos, which is true of flow states. A flow state occurs at the edge of one's competence in a bounded game where you know the rules and can get instant feedback. Csikszentmihalyi uses the example of skiing down a mountain. I'm not thinking about what I will have for lunch because if I get distracted, I might die. My attention is wholly unified on the present moment because my skills are optimally engaged. If the slope gets too easy, I will get bored, and if it gets too difficult, I will experience anxiety, and both disengage flow. It's my opinion that Stoic philosophy aims to master self-consciousness to reduce anxiety and increase flow in life. Stoicism gamifies life through a focus on discipline and attention in the face of adversity, and recommending the constant vigilance of one's own internal states and judgments which gives one a way of optimising for greater flow and harmony. The Stoics often talk about coming into a flow of nature flowing, harmony with one's own nature that harmonises you with the universe at large. As Seneca writes, For those who follow nature, everything is easy and straightforward, whereas for those who fight against her, life is like rowing against the stream. The Socratic call to know thyself, as Verveki argues, means to know the principles guiding your action, which indicates that the self is, to an extent, the principles guiding your action across all domains, the core values that make you, you. So this is a call to understand your nature, so you can optimally position yourself in life. I would argue that the Stoic ethics aims at a character who gets into a moral flow state, one who is capable of enjoying challenges and weather and adversity, with an unshakable attitude. Mastering agency and self-consciousness not by running away, but by becoming self-directed and self-cultivating, concerned about the truth, caring well, and transforming oneself to care better, like Socrates. his ongoing process, of course, never finishes, as the challenges continue right up until death, which is why Stoicism is a way of life and not just an abstract philosophy. As Epictetus says, it's much easier for a mariner to wreck his ship than it is for him to keep it sailing safely. All he has to do is head a little more upwind and disaster is instantaneous. In fact, he does not have to do anything. A momentary loss of attention will produce the same result. It's much the same in our case. If you doze off, all your progress up to that point will be negated. To keep a sharp eye on your impressions and never fall asleep. Conclusion. Quote. Rarely is a person seen to be in a bad way because he has failed to attend what is happening in someone else's soul, but those who fail to pay careful attention to the motions of their own souls are bound to be in a wretched state. Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. In this essay, I've attempted to convey the fundamental Stoic attitude and how this is rooted in a compelling theory of human nature about our goals and emotions, and why this attitude is therapeutic and ultimately aimed at peace of mind. So much of this boils down to a warrior-like attention to the truth and to one's self-correction into greater identification with that truth. That's the game, and the whole process is embodied in the Stoic practice of internalizing the sage that I mentioned in the beginning. The practice involves imagining a sage like Socrates and internalizing their perspective, reading, studying about their life and building their character in your mind and allowing a dialogue to occur between you that shapes your actions and desires and overall character. This is a way of improving your own conscience, which is really what Stoicism is all about. In the next episode, we will be looking at Plotinus and his synthesis of Platonism, Aristotelian science, and Stoic ethics into Neoplatonism, and how this ancient philosophy provides us with a path of spiritual development and metaphysical understanding.